Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, and this is the ninth chapter. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12 and then skipping down to verse 25. So hear now this story. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, for he was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Now some were saying, It is he. And others were saying, No, but it's someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Well, where is he? And he said, I don't know. And then later on, after they've continued to ask him questions, he responds this way. He answered, I do not know whether Jesus is a sinner. One thing I do know, though, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, do you remember getting your hands deep into the mud, into the dirt of the earth, into the parts of creation that stick underneath your fingernails for a couple of days and it just smells like new earth all around you? If you have some mud at home with you today, which hopefully because of the beautiful day, you'll be outside at some point, I'd invite you to find that mud and play with it. Play with it as we enter into this text and explore what Jesus is saying to us today. For within our text today, Jesus is inviting us to discover how this muddy mess of our lives it's not something that needs to just be washed away or cleaned up, but instead, it's something that's transformative. It reminds me a lot of a picture that's been circulating around Facebook. There's a kid's shirt and shorts, and it's covered, and I mean absolutely covered, in mud. Grass stains, dirt, probably some ice cream is thrown in there too. Now, as I look at that shirt as a mom of three little girls, all I can think of is how long is it going to take to get those stains out? 
<laughs> Am I going to need to spray it or let it soak for a while? And if I'd been thinking a little bit more before I got here this morning when I put my girls' laundry in, I would have brought you an example of what those shirts look like because we had plenty in our laundry today. And I still ask the question, how can we make it presentable again so that all of the muddy stuff, all of the dirt, all of the mess is removed? Yet on that picture of Facebook, there's different words that surround the image of that shirt. Instead of wondering what kind of detergent or if we need to pre-soak or not, the image asks us, what do you think this child learned today? How did they grow? What did they discover? What fun did they have? This image invites us to not be so quick to wash away the mess of the day, but instead to reflect upon the mess, to reflect upon the dirt and the mud and the mess of life and wonder, how is this a blessing? To use a phrase from my childhood to embrace that God made dirt and dirt don't hurt, which isn't really all that far away from our biblical narrative because at the very beginning of creation, God creates us out of dust. And we're reminded of that image every Ash Wednesday, every season and time that we begin this season of Lent as we bless one another saying, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. So how do we get so far away by wanting, by needing to have a sanitized, clean faith. A sanitized life where everything is clean and neat and orderly and in perfect condition and fashion. Now I think our narrative this morning helps us out a little bit with thinking about that problem and that question. For that need for a clean and sanitized faith often comes from the need to control, to have all the answers, to be able to put pieces into certain boxes to fit just a certain way because otherwise, well, otherwise it isn't someone's sin that makes them blind. It's just the way they were born. But isn't it so much easier for blindness to be a sin? As Jesus continues along his journey to Jerusalem, he and his disciples are outside of a town, and they happen upon a man who is blind. Now, usually these run-ins would only really happen outside of town because that's where the folks are who have been kicked out of the community. It's where you find the lepers, the blind, the lame, the shunned and outcast. And as Jesus' disciples see this man, they turn to their teacher wanting to learn more about sin. They don't turn towards the blind man wondering, is there something we could do to help? But instead, they turn to their teacher and ask, is it the blind man's fault or his parents? What went wrong? Who did something wrong to cause this tragedy? 
And as Jesus' disciples present him with an either-or dichotomy, he does exactly what he does all the time, and he finds that other way, that third way. He says it's an either. Sin is not a part of the equation here. Y'all hear that again. Sin is not a part of the equation here. This man was born fully a beloved child of God, yet the communal norms and standards were what pushed him away, pushed him outside, declared him as other, and labeled him as sinner for all to wonder. Was it him or his parents? What did he do? But actually, perhaps we should change that earlier sentence because sin is a part of the equation. But it's not on the blind man or parent's side. The sin is found within the community, within those communal norms and standards that label another as other and push him outside of the communal care because he's different. It's within the way that questions are asked about sin and placing blame on him when there's not blame to pass around. It's within the way that othering has led towards upholding what is neat, what is clean, what is sanitized, what is understood, what is just like us, what is orderly. All of that as the standard. Sin is a part of the equation today, but it's in those who ask the question, those who set the standards, and those who live off of the goodness of those standards without trying to break them down. It's in saying, when I see this outfit, all I see is something that needs to be cleaned something that needs to look different than what it looks right now. All I see is a mess, a mess that somebody caused. But not Jesus. No, Jesus takes the dirt of the earth, the dirt that created you and me, the dirt that reminds us that we're all made from dust into dust, we shall return the dirt that stains our garments and creates mess. And he takes that dirt and spits in it. Uses the saliva of the Son of God to create a holy mud that is then caked onto the man's eyes to begin the healing process. Jesus uses the mud, uses the mess, uses the dirt, and blesses it all. Now, so often, Jesus' miracles are able to be done without touch and without him using hands, oftentimes just with words. So to have a narrative where the Messiah's saliva is rubbed onto another person's eyes, y'all, it's a holy moment. 
a moment for us to be able to ask ourselves, are we trying to clean up all of the mess in our life? Are we trying to do that so much that we miss out on the holy moments of that mess? For after the blind man's healing, the townspeople, they do miss out on the holy moment of the mess. They miss out and they get caught up into some more rule following, into some more things to try to figure out exactly how did everything happen because it doesn't happen according to the way that it should be. They're trying to keep it clean and organized and sanitized and fitting within the exact box rule of faith surrounding Sabbath. And what Jesus did didn't follow that rule, so must not have happened. This guy must not have ever been blind. He must be going around telling a different story or telling a different narrative. But after they discovered that he was blind, they then start to wonder, well, was Jesus a sinner then? Because orderly people, orderly people of God, they don't break the rules. They don't heal on the Sabbath. Again and again and again, they miss out on the miraculous mess of the holy moment because they didn't understand the transformation. They couldn't connect all of the dots together. It couldn't be controlled and contained. So it must not be right. Now, Reverend Jim Logston Kellogg introduced me to a great book on the Gospel of John that was written by one of her professors in seminary, Dr. Jamie Clark Souls. We've been using this book for 13th Street Worship, and she's been using it to teach a class. And this week, as we were reading through the book to be able to prepare for the sermon for this text, we came across this great part of the book, and it says these words. For the man that was healed confounds their tiny categories so much that they can't even decide if he's the same man that they knew before. Rather rather than celebrate and praise God, they work to keep the blind man in his place so that the world is not shaken. The man refuses their binary categories and claims an integrated identity with his response. Yet the neighbors repeatedly demand an explanation. For healing usually has social ramifications. When one person receives healing, others want to know whether it will disturb their own equilibrium, their own sense of identity their own sense of what's possible or not possible, or their own sense of power. This is true in both the first century and the 21st. For we will see the same fear and lack of support from the parents and the religious leaders. Y'all, it seems that we, as the community of faith, we often miss out on the healing transformations in front of us because it doesn't fit what we would consider a transformation. Step A did not lead to step B and so forth, and so the transformation must not have occurred. 
but over again, the transformation and those who are healed tell us the story of who Christ is. They tried to tell us the story of those transformations, exactly what happens, and they invite us to come and see. They invite us into the narrative. Do we miss out? Do we miss out on what Christ is doing in the world because it doesn't fit into our own narrative framework? Do we miss out on what Christ is doing in the world because what we see is still messy and not quite clean enough? Or perhaps it doesn't make sense and it disrupts our own equilibrium of power. Y'all, this is the reason why we do the work with our mission partners. This is the reason why we do the work of the hundred days towards racial justice and reconciliation is because sometimes our senses of power must be disrupted in order to be able to see what Christ is doing in the world. I remember a little bit around being able to see this happen with Family Promise of Tulsa. This is a wonderful one of our mission partners here in the community, and it's based in being able to house the different families, to keep them together, and to have them be housed within congregations all around Tulsa. But when COVID happened, obviously that was something that had to shift and had to be changed. And so they went to being able to live at the Lindsay House and renting out apartments where they were able to stay there. Now, when they were moving around and going from congregation to congregation, folks would often ask me, is this hurting the families? And I would say, oh, no, 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 of course it's not. This, you know, they're able to be able to, to know what's happening next. They're not afraid. They're being transformed. But what we found during COVID was that by having a family be first housed in an apartment and have that sense of independence, they were graduating within half of the time from the program. My own bias, my own sense of wanting to control and to have power within that was taking away the transformation that was possible. And this is why we share and give to our mission partners because they are the best equipped to know how to best serve those that are healing and those whose transformation is occurring. So y'all, as we go into the God's world today, I want to invite you to look around and to ask and to see through our mission partners or through what it is that you see in our community how is God using the ordinary, yucky messes of life to transform us? I'd invite you to be transformed by that dirt, by that mess, and by that mud. Don't wash it away too fast. Don't control it. Don't try to clean it too quickly. But be grateful for God blessing all of our mess. Amen.